Oh me, oh my! Look at that fish! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Smalley Talk Podcast. This is your host, Josh Shrinko. And on the other line, I am have the revered smallmouth guide from, I think, is it Manaqua? Manaqua, Wisconsin. Yeah, Manaqua. I got that right. Now, I'm going to try to get your last name right because I forgot to ask you before we started the podcast. <laughs> so, I'm going to take a stab at it. Andrew Ragus. Did I get it right? Ragus. Damn it. Damn it. Ragus. Ragus. Yeah, it's okay. That's all right. It's okay, well, Josh. Yeah, I was going to say, if you can pronounce my last name right, I would feel bad, but I guarantee you can't. So, it's Josh like, Shrinko. Gosh, dang it. You got it. Yeah, the, uh, CH and, the CH is very silent for you. Okay. Okay. Well, I've been saying your last name wrong for like three years, so... You know, that's whatever. okay. Most most people who haven't fished with me normally mispronounce it, but that's okay. I give them a pass. All right, all right. Well, if I pronounce it mispronounce it again, you can just hang up and you don't have to do the interview. Um, so yeah, man, I was talking with you uh, when when I first called, and you know, we um, I think the way we originally got connected was we had a trip a few years back where we were heading up to your area kind of the wisconsin river up towards where you fish at and i was just doing some scouting and and uh i think i just blindly emailed you about it and you were super cool about it and didn't know me from adam and you know gave me some really good information so so yeah you were you basically weren't an asshole and (laughs) and uh thank you yeah and so we've uh you know, we've kind of over the last probably three or four years corresponded back and forth just about smallmouth, and I think we've went up there. I've been up there, I think three times total. Chris has been one time without me, so we've been up there, you know, a handful of times. And to be honest with you, that's I think to this day I would say the Upper Wisconsin River and the Susquehanna are tied for my two like most. Um, like favorite smallmouth destinations. So so yeah, you're pretty damn lucky to be up there. That's that's pretty pretty crazy. Um pretty crazy oh, yeah. smallmouth fishing. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, you guys slayed them three three years ago when I pointed you off into that direction <laughs> and told you to go visit these certain pools that I never get to cuz they're kind of far yeah. from me. So Yeah, you man. Guys did well. Yeah, man. We had a really good time. That first trip was was awesome and uh yeah, we've been back a few times and and you know had a had at least a twenty plus every trip that we went out and uh, yeah, it was that place is amazing up there. Um, so so tell me the first thing I want to know, just kind of tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, I guess first we'll mention Chris didn't join us today because um, it's weird. He's a, yeah. Weird. Yes, he's a weird fly fisherman, and you are not a fly yep. fisherman, correct? Is that well? Is that accurate? You know, I do. I do fly fish on occasion, and I do carry around either my eight weight at times when I'm out for river smallies, 
Okay. And I occasionally okay. fly fish for muskies too. But okay. it's kind of it's kind of a unique situation. I employ when fish are not hitting anything else. Yeah, so you d- kind of dabble in being a weirdo, but you're not like a total I weirdo. I sure do. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, I'm not a weirdo. No. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's funny because we've talked about that in other podcasts. Is kind of like, you know, I compare fly fishing a little bit. Um, like, well, Chris likes to compare it a different way, but I say fly fishing is like using a um, a recurve bow as opposed to a compound bow. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's not. It's not totally handicapping yourself, but it's definitely a more primitive way to fish. Um, he says it's like using a um, rifle in a in a recurve boat. I'm like, no, that's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not that bad. Uh, no. But, yeah, but I I do think that the fly fishing has its place. There's times where you know I've been out enough with him when I've been using conventional gear and he's fly fishing, where he actually has a, an advantage over me. And um, yep. It you know you wouldn't think so just from like the ability to cast the longer distance and stuff, but the fly the one thing it has is it can throw just such a small finesse presentation, and it's really hard to duplicate that sometimes with uh, conventional yeah. gear. So right on. So yeah, um, well yeah, man. Sorry to get off track there, but um, just tell us That's a little okay. bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Kind of obviously, I mentioned your guide and. A smallmouth guide in Wisconsin. Just let us know yep. kind of how you got started in it and where your guide service is and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, so I'm located in uh, northern Wisconsin in Manaqua. It's about less than an hour away from the upper peninsula of Michigan, um, north central part of the state. And my guide service was established in 2016. It is Northwoods Bass Fishing Adventures, LLC. And uh, I guess how I got to this point was, uh, you know, several years ago, I started smallmouth fishing. And about 20 years ago, our fisheries in Wisconsin were finally growing, establishing, and getting really good. So I identified, you know, I found my role in fishing. I identified what I wanted to specialize in. It kept growing and building uh, from there. And then, you know, five years ago, I got myself a ranger boat. I, I I took it to the next level. I figured if I'm going to spend so many days out on the water, you know, over 100 to 150 days on the water, I might as well start start taking people out with me. And I'd, I'd, I'd pay it forward. I'd teach them and, you know, show them my world of smallmouth fishing. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And uh, what's unique about my guide service in northern Wisconsin is there is no one else specializing in the craft of trophy smallmouth fishing on the inland lakes and rivers. So I, I, I was able to identify a unique market, um, you know, a very specialty guide service that no one else is able to replicate or do. And, uh, you know, so far, so good. It's been very successful and enjoyable. And guiding has been more of a seasonal seasonal job. I want to treat it as a part-time gig just because I have a full-time desk job like most other people do. So yeah. this is kind yeah. of a good kind of a good way to have have, have another job, but... I'd schedule out myself so I can fish, you know, two to three weeks every month. You know, it won't interfere with my desk job because I am self-employed, which is nice. And I do develop and design websites for a living. Uh, but, you know, there's no interference between guiding and uh, my desk job. And the two work very well together. That's cool. Um, so I think from being friends with you on Facebook, I kind of got the gist that you're, you travel like back and forth from illinois to wisconsin i do okay. i do yeah so so i am 
located in the western suburbs of Chicago, and I was born and raised here, but I've spent my entire life since birth up in northern Wisconsin because family has always had a summer home there. So all of my summers and even weekends uh, during youth and then even throughout high school and college years, I was always on the water exploring places, learning unique, learning all the different fisheries, um, adventuring. And, uh, you know, once I had more free time, finally got done with school, I've been fishing my ass off every year for the last 12 years. So, but, but, yeah, every, every, yeah, so every two weeks I do commute back and forth. And it's not a bad, it's not a bad gig at all. You know, I only have about a four and a half, five hour drive. Yeah, uh, between Chicago yeah. to to the north woods of Wisconsin, so it's not terrible. Yeah, sounds it, like it, it sounds is, like a good is, gig, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then another thing I try to focus on is scheduling all my trips and guide trips during peak periods of every season. Right. So, for instance, I'll schedule out two weeks of fishing from mid-May until early June. Uh, that's usually the pre-spawn phase, and the fishing can be very good in spring that time of year. And then I don't fish for bedding bass. I don't do any bass trips during the first two weeks of June. So uniquely, I'm back at the desk doing my desk job while the bass are spawning. And then from mid-June up until July 4th holiday, I'm back on the water again. And at that point, our summer patterns are finally starting and fish are in post-spawn and feeding. And then for the rest of the year, you know, I'll target my, my prime dates, my peak peak times of the year, and that's when we'll do our trips. And this way I put... I put all my customers and clients in the best position to succeed based on the conditions and just, you know, prime time of every season. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so I guess the first thing question I had about like the whole guide service thing, why do you think that there's not as many smallmouth guides up north? Is it, is it because people like catching like walleye and stuff a lot more? Like what's, what's the deal with that? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. So the current culture and, you know, this has always been the case from you know, for the last, you know, dozens of years, but the culture currently is always focused on walleye fisheries and then muskies. So walleyes and muskies are the bread and butter of the North Woods. A lot of guides nowadays and, you know, even in the past, they all they do is specialize in muskies or walleyes, you know, either both species or one or the other. Um, so a lot of our lakes, are mainly managed as put-and-take walleye fisheries, meaning, you know, they, 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 they grow the fish, they'll stock the lakes, and they'll maintain them uh, for the purposes of harvest, and, you know, taking the fish, put-and-take. And then mm-hmm. uh, our muskies, um, they are primarily catch-and-release nowadays, and a lot of guys are specializing in muskies. So there's a huge market for muskies and walleyes. Um, and then if people do guide for bass, uh, they, they will do it mainly as something on the side, more like a time filler, or they'll try to also prioritize those peak times of the year and season to target uh, bass and do bass trips. But there aren't any full-time bass guides. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, muskie are definitely cool fish. They're I'm not going to say they're cooler than smallmouth, but they're pretty damn cool. Um, but I mean, if you, I feel like a guide guided trip for muskie would be a lot of, I guess, you know, you just don't, you're not going to catch very many. I mean, you're going to, yeah, get... no, like, like you're not going to catch a whole lot. You're not going to number up like you do with bass. You know, you can, you can easily do a float on any river, catch 30 to 40 smallmouth by the end of the day. And then, you know, if you're out on that same river for muskies, you might only, 
encounter maybe 10 fish and you'll be lucky to catch one or two of them uh mm. but but it also yeah. depends on how skilled of, of a musky angler you are and what type of water you're on i love musky fishing just as much as i do with my just as much as i do with smallmouth fishing uh but i do i do favor and prefer smallmouth fishing just because that's a specialty uh but you know i i i, I just love musky fishing just as much as smallies and i do musky fish a lot as well especially on off days yeah, I mean, that was the first muskie that I had ever had on the end of my line was up there. It was a couple of years ago. So um, you guys definitely have some healthy muskie fisheries, that's for sure. Yes, we do. Um, yeah, because I was catching... Well, I caught... it's, 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 don't forget, it's the Wisconsin State fish. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I caught a juvenile uh, muskie, and then uh, my brother hooked into a really nice one, and got it up to the boat and he's he's not really i mean he fishes but he's not anything like i am and Mm -hmm. he he didn't know what it was he thought it was like a dinosaur and (laughs) (laughs) um we he had gotten way behind me and my dad and um the only thing he could do is like take a picture of it on the end of his line and i think he ended up Mm -hmm. cutting his line but it looked to be you know like a 40 to 50 incher on and it it was huge. It was humongous. Very cool. Yeah, Very and cool. he fought it across this. Um, it, I don't. I guess he hooked it in like an eddy, and through like this rapid area that we just went through. And I don't know how it didn't break him off. Fish, fish, fish took him for a ride. Then I thought, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just taking him for a ride, and he finally, you know, luckily it didn't come off. Um, but yeah, I had one about that size. I I got up to the boat on the James River this past spring, and uh, it was wild, man. I've never never had a fish that big on the end of my line before, so it was it's crazy. Yeah, they're special. Muskies are muskies are very special fish, and whenever you're out musky fishing, it's all about the hunt. It's all about the chase. Their elusiveness is kind of what 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 always brings you back for the next yeah. shot, even on days when you don't catch them. So. It's very addicting, just like smally fishing can be, as you know. Yeah, smally fishing, you know, it's obviously different. But I, you know, there's just a lot more action, consistent action, and I'm there I is. have a short attention span, so I don't know if I'd make for a very good musky <laughs> fisherman. Um, well, that's cool, man. Uh, so where? So I know you said, like, you know, you're based out of Manaqua. What's your yep. like main like uh, bodies of water that you guide on? Oh, God. So up in the Manaqua region of northern Wisconsin, we have about 32 to 3,600 different bodies of water. Holy crap. And yeah, so like 3,500 around there, estimate maybe. So like, I have no limits as far as where we'll go. Um, usually on any given day, we'll travel no further than maybe a 50-mile radius away from home base of Manaqua. So we can travel in every which direction. And usually on a full-day trip, uh, we can hammer out and target maybe two to three different bodies of water on a day. That's um, really so, cool, man. Yeah, so for guys wanting to know, like, the, you know, just the general area and reference point of where we fish. Uh, I hit, I visit and fish all the flowages. So it's the willow flowage, the rainbow flowage, the turtle flambeau flowage. Um, we've got a bunch of lakes, such as the Manaqua chain of lakes, uh, the Lactu flambeau chain, uh, Trout Lake, uh, the Manitowish chain of lakes also. 
um, a bunch of, you know, singular bodies of water that aren't connected to any others. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, this whole region encompasses uh, four different counties, which I fish. So it's Oneida County, Vilas County, Forest County, and Iron. So mm. those four counties have all of these, all of these lakes. And then beyond lakes, I also do some trips on the Wisconsin River system. So my experience on the upper stretches of the river where it's more of a creek and small river mm -hmm. translated into your success then when a couple of years ago when you fished down below Rhinelander all the way through uh, Merrill, that whole yeah. area. So. Yeah, because it gets below Merrill, it's a quite a bit bigger river, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually once once we get down to about... Rhinelander, Merrill, then it really starts to widen out. But at least from that point all the way through Stevens Point, the river is very wild still. So you'll get a lot of boulder fields, a lot of riffles, current, and rapids still. Yeah. And then south south of Stevens Point, that's kind of where the river, the gradient starts to change in the river, and it turns from a more rock and boulder substrate to sand and a slower gradient of flow. So ah, that's at that point, if, yeah, at that point, the river, the whole like the geology of the river changes. Yeah, that's that's interesting because <clears throat> there's some guys, they're fly fishing guides, but they're black earth angling. I don't know if you know mm -hmm. those guys, but they I've heard of them. Yeah, they f they guide down way down further on the Wisconsin River, and it just doesn't seem like it's anything like what we fish up on the upper part. Yeah, it's a, it's a total different world on the south and middle middle sections of the Wisconsin. Um, the, the whole upper stretches we fish, it's the most wild river that you can probably ever experience in the upper Midwest, I would say. Hmm. Yeah, it's a cool river, man. I mean, it definitely has a really good scenic value. It's got that, you know, that north woods, like pine tree. Yep you know, feel sure to it, and like you said, there's a lot of exposed boulders, there's, you know, there's not any, like, crazy rapids, but it's got enough, like, rapid areas where it's oxygenating the water, and the, yep. you know, those fish. Yeah, and, then, and then, and then some of the rapids, which you probably saw, like, those would at least require a portage, and you definitely can't, yeah. can't <laughs> yeah. get through with a normal boat. Yeah, there so was. pretty much, you're stuck with either kayak, a canoe, or Right. which would be waiting yeah, yeah the one uh i think it's called whirlpool rapid whirlpool um, rapid yep. yeah you're not going through that one on a boat no hell no <laughs> yeah and you can go <laughs> around it because there's like an island right there and we yep. we went to river right um down it but there you couldn't even get down that part in a regular boat that that definitely was a canoe only yeah. kayak only type of type of area so which i I actually ran into guys in a boat underneath that rapid there, so I, I'm I assuming there was a ramp somewhat close, so they yeah. Could I'm get... assuming yeah. I would assume that they're probably heading. They got that far just by uh, you know dumping in somewhere downriver and then puttering upstream to right. the to the whirlpool rapids. Yeah, and then another another known fact, um, you know, Wisconsin the Wisconsin River system is regarded as America's hardest working river. So by definition, the Wisconsin River system has so many uh, dams that were built and established in the 1900s for the purposes of logging and hydro hydropower and then water retention for all the flowages, flowages hmm. that connect and are formed by the Wisconsin River system. So with all these dams 
you know, the water flowing through each dam and each pool. Um, that's, that's what got, got it, got its nickname. The hardest working river. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Um, I think I kind of understand now, but we, so down, uh, where I'm at in, you know, anywhere around in Indiana period, we don't mm-hmm. really use the term flowages. That's not really, we have reservoirs yep. and then we have lakes and yep. it seems like a, uh, a, a flowage to you guys is it's obviously a dammed up portion of river, but there's still, it's, I guess it's short enough to where there's still a decent amount of flow moving through that. Yeah. 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 The term flowage is kind of more regional. I'd call it like a regional slang. If that makes sense. But you know, flowages are regarded as low land reservoirs and all of these, all of these reservoirs that are formed by the Wisconsin river system, they're very shallow, and there isn't much depth other than the than the original uh, river channel that flows through these flowages, okay. or the or the depth could be from like old lake basins that were you know in existence next to the original river. Um, so a lot of and a lot of these flowages, the depths, you know, the deepest pools and channels, they might be you know anywhere from twenty to thirty feet, and that'll be all the depth in these flowages and probably 90% of that flowage then is going to be water that's shallower than 15 feet. And a lot of that water is going to be dead, unproductive water too. And it won't be very structure filled. And, uh, you know, it won't be, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is a lot of the structure on these flowages, um, the focal point is going to be around the channels Okay. Um, and then that's really the focal point of structure, the depth, and then the contour in these flowages. So somewhat easier to fish than like a big, you know, expansive lake where you have oh, yeah. a lot of oh, different areas. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you're smallly fishing these flowages, once you've identified, you know, all the all the rock habitat, um, you know, you've, you've found your structure that's near shore. Uh, those will be those will be your smallie magnets for spring and summer months. Okay. And then once you found that, the fishing's very easy. And then another unique thing about these flowages, they have a, a very high water capacity. Um, so they, a lot of them were created for the water retention and then to help control flooding on the entire Wisconsin River system. So even though a typical flowage will be a couple thousand acres in size, it has a, it has a potential to expand in size and double and quadruple into size. Hmm. You know, especially during flood months and high water periods, too. So that's another unique thing about these flowages. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. What a, I was curious, we were looking at some of the snowfall totals. What are you guys looking like right now? Is it pretty deep up there? Um, You know, it's, it's, it's we got maybe 60 to 70 inches of snow on the ground, but it's not as crazy as this time last year, because last year we had over 100 inches okay. by this time of year. Yeah, and then and then another thing is we finally had uh, low water levels by the end of this summer and fall on a lot of lakes. Um, so I do I do not anticipate much much of a big high water event you know, okay. coming up for this spring, which is good hopefully, and hopefully it doesn't happen. Yeah, that's what we were kind of talking about. Chris is a, a little bit of a worry <laughs> war um, with that stuff, and he was looking at some of the snowfall totals because we're planning on going up. <laughs> more further north up towards like Brainerd, Minnesota this year. Oh yeah, upper upper Mississippi, eh? Yeah, yeah, so we're going to do nice. do that and um 
yeah, they they have a, a lot of snow on the ground, but I, I looked, the river levels aren't too bad um, like they were last year, so I'm hoping, you know, it doesn't, we don't get blown out. So Yeah, yeah usually all these river systems, it can be a feast or a famine. I've had, you know, seasons and years where I haven't even been able to get my boat into the upper stretches of the Wisconsin River, either due to how I'm ever getting out on the river. And then before I knew it, it was end of summer and then early fall, and then my bass season was winding down, so I didn't even have a chance to uh, get out on the river. Yeah, well, that's one good thing about having all those lakes up there, man. I mean, you have options about, you know, where to go. Yep. And I'm not a big – I used to bass fish lakes a lot for largemouth just because we don't have smallmouth in many of our lakes down here. Um, right. But I just kind of fell in love with moving water, and that's generally what we – you know, go fish. We you just can't find smallmouth around here in lakes besides like one or two of them. It's yeah, it's kind of a weird weird thing. But um, yeah, man. Well, um, the other thing I was gonna mention is just the the um, how cool it is you guys have all that water up there. Just there's not near as much pressure as I'm used to. I mean, we we only see you know three or four guys all the whole time we're there, which is is pretty neat. It, do you yep. find you find the lakes are like that too? Or are you going to a lot of like lower pressure lakes, or do you find those are decently crowded sometimes? You know, that's a good question. It all depends on what part of the North Woods you're fishing in and visiting. Of course, near near all the busy towns like Manaqua or Eagle River, or uh, you know, um, what's the other town I'm thinking of? Manitoshe Waters. So around around those centralized locations. There's a lot of community lakes, and they'll always get visited by, you know, vacationers or by bass tournament circuits and other anglers. Uh, but in between, in between all of these towns, there's a lot of a lot of lakes and fisheries that are located off the beaten path that have great boat access, and you can get into them very comfortably and fish them hard. Um, so that's kind of my focus, you know, finding all these places, going off the beaten path, making new discoveries. Yeah. keeping those secrets to myself and my customers. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. So yeah, yeah. And then, and then one thing, obviously, I've noticed in the past five years or so is the growing popularity of smallmouth fishing. I, I, I believe uh, between smallmouth bass and muskies, between these two species, no other angling demographic is growing as quickly as smallmouth bass and muskies. Uh, there's a lot more pressure, a lot more angling pressure on a lot of lakes nowadays. I feel uh, the advanced technology that our boats are equipped with nowadays, that's leading to a lot of pressure, exploitation. Uh, mm-hmm. Fish, as a response, in response to that, are getting smarter and wiser. So you, so you have to think outside of the box a lot just in order to catch them and to keep catching and releasing them. Um, and mm. another thing I've noticed is uh, a lot of tournament anglers visiting a lot of lakes that I fish every weekend from June, uh, July, and then August. So every weekend can be very busy on your on your more popular lakes that are very good bass fisheries. So that's another challenge I have to deal with at times. Yeah. Uh, but you know, just just having my intel and knowledge and know how of you know where to go, being at the right being at the right spot at the right time. Uh, you know, midweek yep. I get to avoid a lot of I get to avoid a lot of pressure, and I don't have to compete with a whole lot of people. Yeah, that's the inside knowledge on that stuff, which comes over a long time of doing it. There's really no other way to acquire that yeah. knowledge. It 
It's, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Pe- I, I, view, I view it as like having my home field advantage. You know, yeah, I know exactly. where to go. I know how to avoid pressure, and I can still tap into the biggest fish that other yeah. people don't have the knowledge of. Yeah, especially when the smallmouth start like doing their seasonal changes. You know, you know, yep. like the spots that are really good in the fall. <laughs> you know, and you're yep. not wasting time. Exactly. You know, in the summertime on that. Um, so, what a so I obviously love smallmouth. Uh, yep. You 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 love smallmouth. Why? What what kind of drew you to that species specifically? Like what what caused you to kind of gravitate towards smallmouth? Well, I'm I'm sure you've heard this statement or slogan. Every fisherman is kind of a product of their own fishery. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but yeah. that's kind of how I feel. Um, you know, like 20 years ago, our bass fisheries were just starting to grow they became established and the only reason a lot of our lakes ended up with trophy smallmouth is due to catch and release which is mandatory on most fisheries up in northern wisconsin and then another thing uh, that's kind of overlooked is the rusty crayfish infestations that we had in the 1980s and 1990s so these smallmouth were released into a lot of lakes as juveniles and then now they've grown into 20-inch monsters. So over the course of 20 years, those smallmouth, they've saved a lot of lakes uh, from the rusty crayfish infestations, and those smallmouth are flourishing now. And back then in my youth, when I started catching a lot more smallmouth, I realized the potential of these special fish, and that's kind of what led me uh, into doing what I do currently (laughs) with the big trophy smallmouth trip. So... I yeah, that's that answers cool. your question. Yeah, man. I don't know if you've heard the. There's a guy we actually just interviewed him last week, but he is he has his PhD. The crayfish professor, basically, is that who, who I'm thinking? <laughs> yep, of? yep. He uh, okay. he. If you haven't got a chance to listen to those episodes, that's those are really good, informative. Yeah, stuff I remember. I remember tuning into one last. I tuned into one last year that you guys did, and yeah. that was very informative. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. This last one we talked about. Uh, basically, now it's obviously going to differ depending on which region you're talking about, but mm-hmm. kind of the smallmouth's diet as they, uh, from birth up until they're like three years old. So it was a really interesting um, episode. He kind of went through that whole progression of the different type of forage that they that they use. Oh, yeah. um, Very cool. Um, so actually, on that subject, um. Cause I'm, you know, I'm in the lower Midwest, central Midwest, whatever you call it, Indiana. Um, yep. we're, the, we're the actual Midwest, let's put it that way. You're uh, the you're the you're the heartland. We're the heartland. Heart we got a lot of cornfields. Yeah. Um, right. So a lot of a lot of agriculture pollution. So that's mm-hmm. that's our mark on the smallmouth world. Um, yeah. So what uh what what are like you guys like? main smallmouth forages up there because i know you have a lot of different different type of forages that we don't have down here what, what are you seeing like smallmouth feed on okay so in all of our lakes and we'll, we'll limit let's limit this to the lakes because the river fisheries are totally different and have more biodiversity but okay. our lakes there's three main forage items that we have so first one cisco a lot of our lakes are deep cool water fisheries and ciscos and pelagic species they'll roam the open water so that is one primary forage 
and the presence of Cisco is able to grow a trophy smallmouth and, you know, it maintains their weights. So that's one forage. Number two is yellow perch. Okay. Um, a lot of our lakes that have walleye fisheries will be driven by yellow perch. And in these lakes, smallmouth are kind of the secondary game fish species. And the smallmouth have learned to take advantage of the prevalence of young of year perch. So that's forage number two. And then number three, as we know, is crayfish. Uh, these can be the native crayfish species and then the invasive rusty crayfish, which smallmouth love just as much. Okay. Um, so those are pretty much really the three things that, you know, I identify with, uh, you know, being the forage items for lake smallmouth. Uh, but but what's unique about it is we have so many lakes and not every lake has a menu that features these three forage items. And so, you know, our our deep Cisco lakes may only have, you know, Cisco as the primary species and then some uh, crayfish species. And then other lakes that might have more warm water uh, fisheries um, aren't as deep and cold. They might only have crayfish and yellow perch. And then some lakes, They'll encompass all three items, which the smallmouth will, you know, feed on and prioritize at certain times of the year, which is very unique. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've always thought that a lot of the bass that I catch, they're a product of their own forage, um, mm-hmm. you know, the lake's forage. So lakes that typically have all three of these main, main uh, menu items and entrees, those lakes will have the best smallmouth fishing for trophies as well as good average sizes and overall health of the smallmouth fishery too. Okay. And then also uniquely on some lakes is rainbow smelt. So these are invasive species that came in from somehow. We don't know how they got released into the, into the inland lakes of northern Wisconsin, but they are still they are prevalent and they do exist in some of our inland lakes. And they are kind of like a nice, unique bonus uh, for species on a lot of these uh, Cisco bodies of water. So Cisco, that's obviously some sort of bait fish. What what uh, what what kind of fish is that? I'm not super familiar yeah, so, with that. So Cisco's they're in the herring family. Okay. Um, that's kind of kind of how they're classified as. Uh, not, they're also known as t- t- tulipies. Um, Cisco, you know, they can they can range in size. Um, typically, the smallmouth that feed on them. Um, the Cisco's will be anywhere from four to seven inches in size. Uh, a, a trophy smallmouth that's over 20 inches has no problem taking down a six-inch Cisco. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like the size that they favor. Um, on some lakes, we've seen and caught Cisco that are as big as 16 to 20 inches off. Holy in crap. Uh, but, yeah, but usually Cisco's that are of that length, they're going to be favored by trophy muskies and big okay. fish. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so what do you so I'm going to switch gears a little bit with kind of your yeah. techniques in catching the smallmouth. Um and I've uh visited your website. You got a lot of a lot of really good articles on there about Thank you know, you. just just yeah, your your uh approach to fishing and I know you re- released kind of your top lures for the season at the end of the season mm-hmm. of course at the end of the season <laughs> yeah that's like an, uh, that, that that article piece has been a, a has been an annual tradition to write of mine since like 2013 so it's kind of cool to look back every year and see you know what lures work what keeps working you know what what didn't work so well and you know you, you find like a 
consistency then and and, you know even in my fishing approach i've learned i've identified like you know what's consistent what works well and you know each each year i go (laughs) i revisit and look back to see what works and you know i get to share it with all my readers then which is cool too yeah for sure man um well so i'm sure a lot of your your lure choices are you know imitating those three main forge yeah um that you're speaking of um so do you end up um it made me think of it when you're talking about like uh you know the cisco do you do you fish swim baits is that is that a um something you you're throwing quite a bit yeah yeah swim baits is more of a seasonal and situational type of deal i'm glad you asked that question uh swim baits and open water fishing has become more popular i know the guys out i know the guys out west in california and all these western bass fisheries they kind of you know established you know throwing you know big 20 inch swim baits for record-breaking largemouth and that that style of fishing has slowly crept eastward and on and then up into the upper midwest too but you know, what we do differently from elsewhere in the country, we're downsizing our swim baits to catch these open water smallmouth. Okay. And uh, and then what makes it work really well is midsummer. you know, once the lakes and water temperatures get into the upper 70s, low 80s, and we've hit summer peak, a lot of these forage species, they're in abundance then, and they're easier to pattern and locate then on these deep open water fisheries. And another thing about focusing on the Cisco lakes is the water temperatures can be much cooler, which is better for the fish then, too. They'll be more active and livelier on these deep, clear Cisco lakes, too. So the swim baits that we're throwing, um, you know, your typical four-inch strike king or Kalen's paddle tails uh, fished on an assortment of exposed jig heads or weedless riggings with the cone-shaped swim bait style head. Um, so that's kind of like the typical setup. We keep it very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think what else we do during this time of year. Not not a whole lot of people know how to target open water smallmouth, but what I like to do, it's very electronics oriented. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm scoping through the basins of lakes. I'm looking for deep structure. I'm also looking for bait balls and school of Cisco that could be riding high in the water column or, you know, somewhere suspended above the thermocline. Uh, but another thing I also like to look for is the presence and prevalence of fish, you know, feeding on the surface. Uh, so, for instance, during the hot summer months, Cisco mm-hmm. are very prone to feeding up at the surface and exploding above the surface in low-light mm-hmm. conditions, which could be early mornings or in the evenings. So when you see Cisco's clearing the surface, there's a good probability that muskies are following them, and then packs of smallmouth are doing the same too. So they're following the ciscos during this time of year on those lakes. Oh, that's cool. Um, so give me a little bit of breakdown then. So from your, like, obviously this isn't like a, a hard scientific way to explain this because it changes, but give me like right. a, a basic breakdown of your what your seasons look like, like, about when pre-spawn, pre-spawn starts, about when the spawn starts, about when, you know, kind of the summer pattern and then fall. Like, what, what's your, uh, what, what does your dates kind of look like for that? Okay, so, no, that's a good question. I might keep you here for an extra hour, but that's all right. <laughs> that's all right, man. I got plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, 
So early May, uh, the Wisconsin game fish season season opened. Uh, first Saturday of May. Uh, the first week of May can usually be kind of a feast or a famine. It all depends on what the current climate is, how 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 well the water is warming, and then obviously we need sunlight to warm up everything and to wake up the fish is, finally for the year. Is but that like around, is that about ice out, or are you guys getting getting open water you know, before then? Some years ice out happens first week of May. Other years it'll happen, you know, mid to late April, which is most common. And then even some years by late March. It really depends on what the winter has been like and then how much ice buildup there is. Okay. Um, so, so yeah. So, but usually the, the smallmouth, we're we're kind of in prime time once uh, you know the second weekend of uh, May rolls in. Uh, by Mother's Day weekend, we're kicking it into high gear. Um, every day is, you know, we're, we're out trophy hunting then until Memorial Day weekend. Uh, that time, this time of year, we're throwing a lot of suspended jerk baits. We're, we're visiting staging locations on lakes mm-hmm. as well as known spawning sites on lakes. So these, these adult trophy smallmouth, they revisit the same staging locations and spawning sites every year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having, having identified these locations on a lot of lakes, gives me the upper hand and we, we we revisit them every year just because we have the expectation and we know when and where these fish will set up so that's kind of the pattern for the month of may um, by memorial day weekend a lot of our smaller lakes and flowages the smallmouth and them will finally begin spawning uh, these waters typically warm up the quickest um, and then it's they, the fish in these fisheries have a more accelerated uh, spawn. So, you know, the, with these lakes, they warm up quickest. The fish will spawn on them the soonest. Uh, but um, by um, you know the weekend of Memorial Day weekend, we're out on the biggest lakes. We're still looking for the last uh, pre-spawners that are still available. And then uh, during the first two weeks of June, um, the bass are spawning everywhere. I don't do bozo buckets trips, <laughs> which is yeah. unfortunate to some people, but I don't have to waste my time during these two two weeks of the of June just because I care about the fishery too much. And you yeah, know sure. my, you know if you my philosophy in fishing is if you take care of the resource, it'll take care of you very handsomely in the end. So I try to I want to respect you know my 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 friends and my foes, which is the smallmouth, um, and then. Once we get to mid-June, at that point we're in pre-spawn or we're in post-spawn, uh, and then along with that, summer patterns are finally establishing. We get a lot of mayfly hatches, which can be very good for surface fishermen. So if you like topwaters and herjicks, you know, fishing during the mayfly hatch can be very awesome. No, it, I don't. It has become, I, I don't. It's become one of my. It's become one of my most most uh, favorite ways of targeting uh, the lake fish. I say I hate top. Say? I hate top water, dude. I mean, that's for. Well, well, <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm joking. No, that's okay. I won't call you a weirdo. So no, I. Top waters are all. It's all about timing, your cadence. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, my philosophy with top waters is, you know, if you're throwing like a four-inch walk the dog or something bigger than that, you're going to be targeting some of the biggest bass in that entire system. Yeah. For, for whatever reason, the biggest smallmouth are just engaged by the commotion that a big top water creates on the surface. So mm-hmm. I, I treat the top water as like a trophy 
a trophy bait and you know every time i'm throwing the top water it's not to number up and to get action i'm my purpose is to hog hunt and catch a big one with it and that's when it pays off yeah we uh we had good luck i think the first year we went um we had a really good spook bite um so that was like toward the end of pre-spawn but they were they were all over that yeah. spook so oh yeah so yeah. yeah and then and then and then i also mentioned uh throwing a hair jig um if you have not if anyone has not experienced this on any natural lake for smallmouth you got to do it um you know fishing during a bug hatch can be very difficult just because you're competing with the overabundance of this forage right but what i like to do and the way i catch my fish during the bug hatches i'm fishing shallow water where the smallmouth were spawning at just a few weeks prior because these smallmouth will will still stay in the shallows and then mm-hmm. they will slurp up any hair jig or you know any fly looking imitator that they'll see okay and then also i like to fish uh during calm water or cal- you know calm weather days so th- the water has to be crisp you know calm as glass mm-hmm. there can't be a high wind and then um if you're if you've got these calm conditions during a mayfly hatch you'll be able to see and find and identify any area and regions of the lake that have a surface commotion. So if you're seeing flies, you know, just, you know, crawling up from the surface of the lake, you know, flying away, you'll see smallmouth, you know, breaking, uh, breaking the uh, surface and feeding on these mayflies too. So that's kind of like my identifier of when I'm going to throw a hair jig. And, you know, that's also going to be the region of the lake where I'm going to spend a lot of time at just casting you know, for these feeding fish. So that's a unique thing as well. Yeah, that's probably um, where the fly fishing comes in handy yeah, doing that absolutely. sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. End of, you know, mid to end of June has probably been the time of year where I get the most fly fishing requests just because I know when the mayfly hatch is coming and I've broadcasted it enough to other people to, yeah. to tell them how awesome it is and the fishing can really be awesome. So, so yeah, by uh, early July, you know, I call it quits for a couple weeks just because I'm not a fan of fishing during the 4th of July holiday week. Yeah, uh, this time I can of year, imagine. We get, we get the most boat traffic this time of year than any other time. So once the, once the wave runners and pontooners are clogging up, cutting me off everywhere, <laughs> and I have to compete with five other boats on certain spots, I call it quits. I pack it in. I'm not going to be back out on the water then until mid to late July. And then by then, uh, summer peak is set in. Uh, Midsummer can be an okay time to number up on fish, but due to the awesome weather and the consistency of good weather, it makes targeting trophy smallmouth much easier and predictable. So by mid to late summer, you know, end of July through all of August, we're finally targeting trophy bass only for the most part. So a good day of fishing can produce maybe 15 to 20 really good-sized fish. Um, and then we're weeding out the numbers. We're purposely not really fishing much for numbers by then. Sure. Um, and then and then by Labor Day weekend, we got our first cool-downs of the year. Actually, let me backtrack. Another thing uh, that's very unique uh, to our fishing that we do in late summer, so end of July through all of August, we like to do a lot of night fishing. Um, I, oh, yeah. I know a lot of a lot of guys do not associate smallmouth bass with night fishing, but I'll tell you, on a lot of these trophy lakes, the biggest bass will feed at night. They're elusive creatures. 
Um, and then another unique thing about fishing at night is when you're on top of shallow rock structure and you're casting or jigging it, the crayfish are out because crayfish are very nocturnal species themselves. Hmm. So when the crayfish are out and about, the smallmouth, they'll, they'll come back into the shallows. They'll feed on these crayfish. So that's another unique thing that we like to do at that time of year. And so you're stay off. so you're like, when you kind of transition into that after 4th of July weekend, like that's when you're yep. fishing pretty deep at that point, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of our fishing is going to be deep structure, offshore, um, mid-lake structure too. And then, you know, these open water Cisco fisheries that we just talked about. Uh, but then during low light conditions and especially during summer cool downs, which can happen. And then even at night, uh, the fish, they'll, they'll move back into the shallows like nothing ever happened. And then they will be feeding in the shallows. So usually, you know, this time of year, if the fish, if fish are back into the shallows, they're there for one reason only, and that's to feed on whatever forage species is available. Uh, just, and then another unique thing about it is a lot of these adult trophy smallmouth, they live offshore for most of their lives. And the only time of year they'll really visit the shallows is in spring for their spawning. So, so yeah, you want to pattern them, you know, during the daytime and this time of year offshore. But then in these unique instances, they will come back to the shallows just to feed. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool, man. And then fall time is obviously pretty good where you're at. Yeah, fall can be really good. It also depends on the timing of turnover. So what I like to do is uh, starting in mid-September during our first cool down, you know, the surface temperatures will drop from the upper 70s into the low to mid-60s. Um, a lot of we do a lot of casting, and this time of year we like to focus on shallow water locations. Now, one mistake that a lot of smallmouth anglers make is they'll they'll, they'll return to beating the bank in the early fall. But what I like to do is I actually target mid depth areas, and then another area that of the lake, and you know you'll identify this you know based on your your experience on that fishery and on that waterway but what i like to look for is sand so the month of september i call it september sand and this time of year a lot of our yellow perch they're finally schooling up they're in huge packs Um, they finally grown to a couple inches in length which is very desirable for smallmouth for feeding so what what happens this time of year those yellow perch schools they're moving into the shallows of sand and they're utilizing that sand for warmth. And then if that sand has, you know, any grass and weed growth and vegetation growing along in the two, those, you know, the yellow perch will hold in the grass. And then that all also attracts smallmouth, which will use the sand for warming as well as, you know, the location and area for feeding on that forage overabundance. So um, in, in recent years, you know, month of September has been awesome for casting with uh, paddle tails, spinner baits. Um, even suspended jerk baits too, and then fluke minnows as well. Mm. Um, so, and and uh, you know, this, the fishing that we do, the wind, the, the window here is very short. You know, week and a half of, you know, the pattern I guess lasts for about a week and a half, and then uh, once we roll into early October, a lot of our lakes start turning over. The yeah. fish will vacate the shallows, and then by the end of turnover, water temperatures are going to be in the low fifties. And then at that point in mid-October, pretty much 99% of the bass in that lake will be in their wintering areas. And then that's how our year ends. 
Yeah, you guys yeah, have a months, you guys have a very short like fall up there. It gets cold fast. Yeah, it, it, it's a super condensed season. You know, September is all about transition time. You know, you'll you'll do a lot of casting and covering water, and then you know it all it all relates to the stage of turnover too. Because at that point, we're in pre-turnover. Usually, then you know first week or two of October when the lakes are turning over I turn my attention to muskies or to other species unfortunately just because the bass you know there's no there's really no point in in uh trying to force force feed smallmouth that are right they're living in, in the middle of turnover and plus you know you're gonna be jigging in 20 to 30 foot depths on a lake where the water is just churning it can be clouded up and just you know it can be misery then yeah, so, and sure. then, you know, mid, mid-October onward, you know, most years our season lasts up until end of October. Um, you know, last few years we haven't even been able to fish much beyond November 1st just because of how cold it's been getting and the early ice up that we've had. But um, what I was going to say is end of October onward, we're position fishing, we're vertically jigging in over 20 to 30 feet of water. Yeah, that, that's too. that's no fun to me. I don't like that. that type yeah, of you know, personally. You know, it, all dep- it, it depends on what your outlook is. You know, this time of year we're utilizing our electronics a lot, so some days yeah. the fishing can be really good, and it turns into a video game. You know, you can you can right, bite yeah. the bites as they happen underneath the boat if you got good electronics. So that's that's the fun in it for me. But you know, yeah. you're, at this time this time of year, you know, our purpose in fishing, we're looking for an end of year trophy to catch and release and that's really it you're not going to number up and action is you know far from normal yeah we i mean we've been we've caught fish here in the last couple weeks so you know it it hasn't even frozen over our rivers haven't at all so i i can appreciate that type of fishing it's just eh, it's just not not the same it like scratches the itch for me a little bit but you know, I'm I'm yep. wait I'm waiting till springtime. That's oh yeah. So I'm really waiting for. Um, so I definitely um, I I I was gonna ask you what fish was harder to catch, but I already know the answer to this question. So I'm I'm gonna ask you to just explain a little bit of difference between a river smallmouth and a lake smallmouth because you're one of the <laughs> you're one of the few guys that. Um, that I feel like does uh, uh, is competent in both. Um, I feel like most of the time you're either a river guy or you're a lake guy. But I know you've you've you know you know how to do both. So explain a little bit what yeah. what the biggest differences are. So biggest difference number one is the shape, body size, and weight of these mm-hmm. fish. So river fish, as you know. They're going to be more slender in shape. They're not going to pack on the pounds like lake fish do. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this is all due to the fact that river smallmouth are highly migratory species. Here in Wisconsin, I kind of consider them to be like migratory salmon, just because of how far they'll they'll have to travel between pools, you know, for spawning, and mm-hmm. then back, you know, back downstream in the in the fall months for their wintering and these slowages and. You know, river smallmouth in the Wisconsin River system and most of our rivers in Wisconsin, you know, in general, you know, these fish, they will migrate 20 to 30 miles between, you know, where, mm. the, where you know, between between the seasons, too. So, yeah, due, due to the highly migratory nature of river smallmouth, they're never able to achieve, you know, trophy trophy proportions. 
mm-hmm. as, as far as weight goes. Right. You know, a lot of our a lot of our bigger river fish they'll top out at maybe twenty one to twenty two inches max, mm-hmm. and unfortunately they're only going to be five pounds or less right. in weight, right. which kind of sucks. And that's all due to you know them fighting currents all the time. They're always on the move. Um, river fish they'll never hold in one spot. You know, like lake fish do for several weeks. You know that just never happens. And then another thing is forage limitations. Uh, our rivers nowadays, well, the Wisconsin River nowadays, it, it's not as infested with crayfish like it used to be 10 to 15 years ago. Um, I remember back then our river bottoms used to be full of crayfish, both native species and rusty species. Uh, but the smallmouth did a fine job of <laughs> cleaning them out. Correcting, huh? <laughs> yeah, they did a good job of cleaning up the river, I'll tell you that. And now, you know, our river forage is more focused on sucker species, juvenile red horse, um, white sucker, silver sucker, um, and then tomcats. Uh, We do have some yellow perch and then a lot of minnow species um, like shiners um, and then fish like that. That's interesting. You know, yeah, so, so the forage that's available in the river, especially my river that I fish, because not every river is created the same as far as forage goes, but in the Wisconsin River system, that's the primary forage now, and those species are just not able to maintain and grow big fish, like you know, unlike lake, lake uh, fisheries do, for instance. Yeah. And then, you know, the difference in lake fish... Um, they've got the forage abundance. They've got the three main entree items on the menu, like I described. So Cisco, you know, big oily fish. Uh, smallmouth don't have to feed on Cisco's often to get a good meal, um, right. just because of the high, just because of the high protein. Uh, you know, it's an oily fish too. So you know, one Cisco will fill up a big smallmouth easily. So Cisco's will will maintain and grow those trophy fish. Um, and then another thing, you know, the yellow perch, smallmouth will gorge on them to no avail. And then uh, rusty crayfish and then native crayfish species, too. Um, so, you know, year-round on a lot of these lakes, smallmouth, they will feed on crayfish. And crayfish, you know, an, an overabundance of crayfish will keep the smallmouth bellies full. And they will help maintain the weights of big trophy smallmouth on these lakes. Do you feel like the lake smallmouth fight is hard? Is river smallmouth? Oh hell no! Yeah. No way. Yeah, river yeah. river fish, river fish, whether they're in currents or not, um, they they fight much harder than lake fish. Yeah, I've kind of now felt that, like that. The, they're just more violent um, because yeah. of what they have to yeah. survive in. Yeah, exactly. And then river fish, with them being migratory, they're always on the move. So so they're always moving. And then even when you hook into a river fish. They burst away with such such great force and power that lake fish just never display. And yeah. then you know a lot a lot of our lake fish, you know they're 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 more tame than smallmouth. So, you know sometimes sometimes you know when you're fishing in you know 10, 15, 20, 25 feet of water, those smallmouth they'll feel like walleyes when they hit, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden all you feel is like you know weight, and that fish is just staying down it's not fighting it's not going to leap like a river smolly does too so yeah. it's totally different and unique yeah that's cool that's a good uh that's a good answer to that it's kind of what i 
what I thought. And, you know, I've riverfished know they're they know how to use current to their advantage too. Yep. I feel like I yeah. get if you catch them in a area where there's a lot of current, they they're not stupid. Like they'll take you downstream yep. and make it a lot more difficult to land yep. them. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then one other thing I wanna make note of and point out, river fisheries, it's they seem to to have more numbers in action compared to lake fisheries because mm-hmm. not every lake is maintained and managed for you know action and numbers and you know to go out and catch 50 fish and you know in, in an outing or in a full day a lot of rivers are set up for you know numbers and action and that's just due to you know peak season you know being at the, on the at the right pool at the right time if there's just the prevalence of migratory fish that moved in so a lot of a lot of rivers just for whatever reason you know you know, do do a float for five to ten miles. You'll catch way more smallmouth doing that versus visiting a singular lake or a body of water for a yeah. full day. Yeah, and I think too something else that at least that upper part of the Wisconsin, I feel like it's, because it's hard to access the boats, it doesn't get pressured as much. Yeah, so, that's another thing too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that that's one reason that I kind of got I sold up my boat and got into kayak fishing because I got fell in love with smallmouth and like, you know, I was like, man, I can't get to the smallmouth with my boat. So, um, yeah, it, it definitely changes the game a little bit for sure. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, we're going to have to get you out on the kayak, dude. I, I said that a, <laughs> a couple of years ago, we haven't been able to, to link up, but I'd like to come up there go out in your boat maybe a day and then uh, bring yep. bring a couple kayaks and get you out on the river with me doing that. So That would be fun. That yeah. would be fun. Yeah, well, well, for the rivers, I'm sure you've seen my setup. We've got a 14-foot John boat with yeah, a 15-horse yeah. outboard and then a uh, cable steering uh, trolling motor up front. So that's, that's one of my rigs. And that gets me around very well on the upper Wisconsin, which is very nice. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, yeah, something about a, a kayak because you're so close to water; it's very intimate, uh, especially oh, smallmouth fishing. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a fun thing, and you know, letting the river kind of power you, you know, so you're yep. not, you know, you're kind of just almost like a lazy river, but you're fishing along the way. So yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, and then okay, so I have a couple more things for you, and then we'll, I'll let you get yep. off, man. Um, so. I one thing I really appreciate about you is that you really talk a lot about conservation, um, mm-hmm. which is really important. I, I think for uh, you know a guy that is is guiding and, and has a platform that you you talk about that because I know you're uh, kind of tongue in cheek with it, but you know you talk a lot about the guys up there that are eating everything they catch. Um, which yep. is bullshit, but, um, tell, just talk a little bit about your kind of stance on that and what, you know, what you think is important that we as, as, you know, sport fishermen do to, to take care of our, our species that we target. Hell of a question to ask me. So, so my philosophy, well, like I said, you take care of the fishery, it's going to take care of you. So, so like when I'm, when I'm clamoring, and, you know, promoting conservation, catch and release fishing, you know, releasing all your trophy bass. I'm not doing it for myself because I want to collect a check at the end of every day. That is far from the truth. And unfortunately, that's kind of how some anglers think of, you know, that that's 
they think that's my intention, but that's far from the truth. So when I say that, I, I want it for everyone. You know, we're all stewards of every fishery. So as such, we have to protect our resources and the fish that our lakes have been able to grow and, you know, and hold and contain. So little known fact to a lot of anglers who visit, you know, these northern states and northern bass fisheries, a lot of these trophy smallmouth that are 18, 19, 20 inches and bigger than that, a lot of them are 20 years of age and older. Um, you know, in, in Wisconsin, you know, an average fish, 14 to 16 inches, it'll take maybe 8 to 10 years for a bass to get that size from our waters. And usually at that point, that's when that fish gets filleted by whoever caught it, you know. Yeah, yeah no. But, but you, re- you release those up-and-comers. They're not gonna. They're not gonna grow very rapidly at that point in time. You know, um, you know, a ten-year-old bass could be 16 inches long, so that bass can live at least 10 more years. And you know, over the course of those next four inches that it grows, it might only grow half an inch per each year. So that's a lot of time for a bass to reach 20 inches in length. You know, 20 years. We're talking 20 years. Yeah, and that's what's wild. very unique and what's unique and what backs this up from what I promote um, in the last two years, I've caught and recaptured my same personal best smallmouth bass. That's pretty a awesome. Inch, a 22 incher from Vilas County. Uh, the first time I caught it was August 31st, 2017. I measured it. I uh, weighed it. It came in at just under slightly seven pounds, and then I dropped a waypoint on that spot because I knew I was going to come back and hopefully maybe encounter the same fish once again. Lo and behold, seven months later, during the full moon of May uh, 19th, 2018, same spot, I caught that same fish again. And then it was uh, measured 22 inches also, same marking, same shape, same Over fish, seven, right? the same fish. Yes, and then this time that fish weighed seven and a half pounds because she was full of eggs and was going to spawn very shortly. So That's cool. Having, having encountered the same fish twice, I sent my data to the biologist of Vilas County who has extensively studied the same lake I've, I've been on and where I caught that fish from, and I gave him all my data, and then he came back to me to tell me that this fish was one that he sampled 10 years prior, and he aged that fish at about 20 to 21 years of age. Wow. So 10 years, yeah, so 10 years ago, you know, fish was 20 20 years of age, you know, having been a 20-incher, and now, you know, I caught this fish eight years from when it was sampled as as a 20-year-old, 20 20-incher, 20 and it was 22 inches and probably 28, 29 years of age. That's got to be one so, of the oldest smallmouth to yeah, ever be yeah, caught. Yeah. yeah, she was she was very old, and uh, you know a lot of people, you know they'll 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 tell us and try to try to try to convince us that big old trophy smallmouth are incapable of reproducing but i'll tell you this big trophy smallmouth had at least a half pound of eggs and she was gonna burst at any moment after i caught her the second time so yeah i got so passing on those good genes man that's yeah, what that's what yeah, you want yeah you you yeah so on all these trophy lakes rivers throughout the country a big trophy smallmouth the only way you can maintain these fisheries is by catching and releasing them 
because, like you say, you got to keep these genes in that water long term. And we don't have 20 years to waste for another, you know, you know, another juvenile smallmouth to reach 20 inches in length because that's just going to take hell of a long time. And by that point, I'll probably be in my mid 50s or early 60s in age. So I ain't yeah. going to wait that long. Well, you know, that's the thing, man. You know, we uh, people that don't have perspective don't realize that our fisheries they go through ups and downs and it's a lot yep. of it's caused by overfishing or yep. you know over harvesting and and yeah, sometimes and then, and then another thing is exploitation it's very bad nowadays with social media and then the bass tournament thing too yeah podcasts kind of do that too so <laughs> <laughs> uh we don't have enough listeners to make a difference but um yeah. no you know the we've always we always promote that but that you know it's the thing man when when i catch a a big smallmouth. I always think, you know, hey, when my kids get older, if they get into smallmouth fishing, you know, like, you know, what's this? What's this place going to be like for them? Right. And uh, you know, if I'm keeping that, you know, fish, you know, that's, you know, you catch a 20 inch fish in a in a small river, like, you know, there's not very many of them that's in there. That's a hell of an accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a, there's not a lot of them in there. You're taking out the the main breeding fish, you know, yep. in there, and that's something you need to consider for sure, man. Yeah. We, uh... yeah. Yeah. One other big thing, you know, like I mentioned, our walleye fisheries in Wisconsin are primarily put and take fisheries. Smallmouth, the smallmouth fisheries are the total opposite. If you take that smallmouth bass out of the lake, kill it, keep it, that fish is irreplaceable until, yeah. you know, a, a baby smallmouth fills in the void and grows, you know, 20 years to get that size. So, you know, you take out trophy fish, they're all irreplaceable specimens. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Well, that's good to, yep. good to see you guys promoting we, that. We free, the, we free the fighter, man. You oh, yeah. That, you know that slogan, free oh, yeah. the fighter. I say it oh, at the yeah. end of every episode, yep. so yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, yeah, and then, and then I want to add a closer to that statement. Yeah, go eating ahead. A 20, eating a 20-year-old bass, it tastes like ass. Yeah, I know. Well, eating them is like asinine. Like I, I don't get that. Yeah, the, the putting, you know, mounting them. I mean, I don't advocate that. But if I it gonna, dies on, if it dies on you, it's one thing. You got to take it. Like yeah, instance, true. This past, this past summer, I had a client accidentally gut hook a fish. I uh, thought yeah. I, I thought I unhooked it properly. I did some surgery. Fish swam away fine. And then three minutes later, that Came fish up. was belly up on the surface, and it was like a 17-incher. So what I did, I took it. My customer tried to convince me that I should throw it in the garden for fertilizer. <laughs> but I thought otherwise, me working from home, I'm going to get a nice little tabletop mount out of that fish. So, yeah, yeah, that's so, cool. You know, that's the, only, that's the only situation or scenario where I would ever think of having to keep a fish, unfortunately, if it dies, which it happens. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, that's cool, dude. Um, well, it's nice. Uh, it's nice talking with you. Finally, we're gonna the next. Absolutely. The next level is me getting out and fishing with you. So we're gonna make that happen for sure. That'd be awesome. Yeah, man. Um, as long as you're not some like crazy psycho, which you could be, I wouldn't know. because yeah, I've no, never I'm met you before. <laughs> No, I'm not an axe murderer. No, okay. so don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you seem pretty normal. So, um, Thanks. well, uh, last thing I'll let you do, man, just give uh, give our audience kind of your 
website they can visit um and, and yeah, also cool, any man. i know you're sponsored by a few guys like if you want to give any shout outs like that that's cool too so go ahead yeah so we should have done this like probably over an hour ago but my website address is three w's dot northwoodsbass.com uh so northwoodsbass.com visit it highly highly uh infotaining educational uh, a lot a lot of information on there and i try to keep it updated i publish new articles every month um i also write for midwest outdoors magazine with my columns appearing in you know eight nine or ten issues per year um so a lot of good stuff is coming for the next few months um, also, my website is one of the top uh, visited websites in all of Wisconsin for uh, the subject of bass fishing. So, so even though I have a guide service, one of my philosophies is to always give back to readers, keep them keep them edu- educated, informed. So, you know, I like to write a lot of articles and share all my findings and you know studies with other people too. So, so that's kind of the basis of uh, my website. Why I like to be engaged with it. And then uh, also, um, you know, I want to make a shout out to some of the companies and brands I work with, Portland Line Company, Kalins, um, Dynamic Lures, and then uh, new for 2020 and beyond, um, I've joined the St. Croix Rod uh, Ooh, but so, I'm a little jealous so of you. I'll so be we honest. Are gonna, we are going to, well, I'm going to have a lot of work, and I'll be working with my neighbors and friends up there in northern Wisconsin because that's where they're based. But we're going to have a lot of fun collaborating and working together, and I'm going to gonna bring all my customers onto the St. Croix, uh, you know, St. Croix cult following, too. So that'll be cool and exciting. So, yeah, so that's one of the new things happening right now. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, I'm a St. Croix guy. I've had, I've had St. Croix's exclusively st croix since i was in high school so you know and i'm 30 35 so i got got about oh i don't know 15 of them sitting in the rod rack behind me um but yeah dude uh for sure that's uh that's exciting well man it was um it was great talking with you um like i said we'll, we'll, we'll get out and fish uh maybe this summer man i would like to you know maybe plan a time where you don't have any guide trips and go up there and spend a couple days um let's do it yeah for sure man but uh but yeah do you have anything else for me or anything no i just want everyone to visit my website check everything out learn a lot and don't be afraid to contact me by email or phone because i will have days available for fishing uh from july august september and october so those four months i have a lot of openings what's your uh what's your what's your instagram handle Oh jeez! Uh, just just do a search on Andrew. <laughs> you don't even know it. All, yeah, Andrew. There should only be one Andrew Raggett in the entire world or North America, at least, holding a big giant smallmouth. So, <laughs> so you can uh, just do a search of my name, and you'll find me on Instagram. <laughs> I'm gonna give it's okay. I have it here. Yeah, it's it's okay. at Andrew underscore Raggett. So I I follow yep. you on Instagram. So you definitely are a you, you you do it for the gram every once in a while, so yeah yeah. The, the, my Instagram page serves as a photo gallery off my website too, so okay. that's kind of the motivation and why I have it. Yeah, and we'll link your yeah, website yeah. and stuff on uh, on our okay. when I post this episode, we'll link it on our Facebook awesome. and Instagram page, so you awesome. can uh, yeah you guys can check them out. And uh, we'd highly recommend Andrew. We think he's a cool guy and not an axe murderer. So if you were 
looking to go up to northern Wisconsin, hit him up, and uh, he'll put you on some some big smallmouth. And I can attest there's some monsters. Uh, I've seen pictures of just absolute monsters up there. So um, he's not full of shit. So, so anyways, thanks again, man. And, uh, yeah, I hope your fishing season goes well. And, as always, free the fighter, baby. Yep, free the fighter. Ah!